people need to know that the prisons, the, the federal prisons went on lockdown status the first week of April, which meant that they were on like a double lockdown. My God. Um, to me, it doesn't make any sense why if you have 1,400 women who live together or even like her unit is 240 inmates. So you have 240 inmates that share the same bathrooms, the same sinks, the same living quarters, everything, but they're not allowed outside anymore since April. They're not allowed outside. No fresh air, no sunshine. Hello, damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where I chat with people who saw something wrong in the world and gave a damn about it. I truly hope today's conversation will help you give more dams than ever before. My guest today is Billy Winner Davis, Reality Winner's mother. Now, upon hearing Reality's name, I imagine many of you know generally what's been going on the last few years with Reality Winner and others of you may have no idea what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about. Regardless, every single one of you should know about reality, and I believe every single one of you should be doing your part, small or big, to ensure that everyone knows about her story and helping us say her name and tell her story so loudly that the president, the key decision maker here, can't ignore us and will release her from prison soon because her life depends on it in so many ways. In our conversation, Billy does a fantastic job sharing key parts of reality's upbringing, how and why she joined the Air Force, how and why she acted heroically by releasing top secret government information with the American people, stuff that we should know about, and we spend quite a bit of time discussing her horrible situation in prison. It's truly heartbreaking what she's going through. And there are quite a few moments during our chat or I guess I should say there were quite a few moments during our chat where I thought about how hard it must be for Billy to talk about these things, to talk about the horrible plight of her daughter's life. And so I'm incredibly grateful for her time and for reliving this nightmare so that we can learn more about reality's story and so that we can be motivated to do something about it. If you want to find ways to help reality and to get involved, visit standwithreality.org. On that website, you'll find clear calls to action for you to participate in and for you to share with your friends because giving a damn feels better when you're doing it with others. That's just true. That's a fact. Okay, let's get right into it, yeah? As always, my email is hello at letsgiveadam.com. Hit me up anytime. I'd love to hear from you. I always love hearing from you. And here's my conversation with Billy Winner Davis. Let's go. Billy Winter Davis, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you being here. You have a lot going on in your life, and uh, taking the time to be with the Let's Give a Damn family means uh, a ton to us. And I'm I'm just I'm so excited to uh, not about what not at all about what you're going through, obviously, but excited to kind of hear. Uh, a little bit of your perspective that maybe those following you or reality story on uh, the internet might not get. And so I'm, I'm, again, very grateful for the time with you today. So let's get going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, for those that don't, I want to get a little bit of uh, 
the background before we get going, because I know that a lot of people might know generally, they hear the name reality winner, and they know sort of what's going on. They've got a little bit of a picture, but they might not know kind of the full breadth of what's going on, which is why I wanted to, and again, grateful for your time. I wanted to go right to the source. You know, you you love her more than anyone in the world, right? And so you're so close to this situation. So can you give us, before we get into where reality is now, the horrible situation she finds herself in. Let's go, let's go back. I want to talk about uh, young reality. Like who, who was she as a young kid? You see a lot of those same parallels now as she literally fights for her life uh, in prison. Like what kind of a kid was she that led her to do the kinds of things she did to, to join the military, to fight for her country, to even ultimately uh, knowing that it was something that was illegal that could and ultimately did get her into trouble. She did it anyway, because it was the right thing to do. Like, give us a little bit of that context for reality when she was younger. Yeah, sure. Well, reality is, was, has always been an extremely bright um, young child. Uh, even from, you know, little, she was just extremely bright. Uh, I like to tell people that, like when she was a toddler, she really didn't talk. And of course, we were worried about it. But all of a sudden, I mean, when she started talking, it was in sentences. Reality didn't say her first word. She said her first sentence. Wow. Uh, she was just saving it up. Yeah. She was, she was just so smart all the time and so intuitive about everything. Also very compassionate. Um, I think, you know, part of it, it was the way that our family is. You know, I was a social worker. I've been a social worker all my life, worked in child protective services all, you know, their lives. And so you know, they grew up always, you know, with me at all of the functions involved in community things. And she really cared about her community. In high school, she, you know, volunteered to, you know, do projects where they would fix up some elderly um, people's homes and things like that, get them ready for the winter, things like that. Um, you know, she does, she's always been somebody who's been very responsible I never really had to have many rules in our house because she was, she was very responsible. So was her sister. They always did the right thing and I never had to worry about them. And so there was never this issue about um, having to really watch them. Uh, the only time that reality was ever in any kind of trouble was in eighth grade. She was uh, getting ready for her eighth grade graduation she was preparing her speech. She was either going to be valedictorian or salutatorium, however you say that. I can't. Yeah, yeah. But she, um, she got all of her classmates together and orchestrated the biggest, baddest food fight that the school has ever seen. And I remember Incredible. the principal, the teachers, yeah, everybody was so disappointed in Reality Winner. And I was like, but we kind of made her this way. We made her a leader. We made her somebody who's going to, you know, kind of go against the grain a little bit because she always thinks outside the box. Um, she's very creative. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen her artwork, but um, somebody has started a website with her artwork. Mm. She's extremely talented in, in sketching and drawing and painting. And um, she's just, she, I don't know where she gets all her creativeness, but she's just amazing. Um, I wish everybody could meet her, could mm. spend time with her just to, to get her energy because, you know, it is, it's contagious and 
um, you just want to do, you want to do right by reality. That's how I feel, at least, you know. That's a beautiful sentiment. And and, and I I do believe, and I hope that when she gets out and hope that's very soon, you know, that's what you just shared about wanting more people. You wish everybody can meet her. I do hope there's, you know, a beautiful future where people get to do that, right? Where she's telling her story and she gets to communicate all these things. And so I want to go, uh, go back because you, I think maybe you being a little bit modest here where you're talking about all these things that, that uh, reality and, and is it Brittany, her sister, is that correct? Brittany is her sister. Yes. yes. Yep. And so, you know, you, you talk about all the, the good things that they've done and all these, but we as parents, and I know that I I've passed along, I have little kids, five, seven, and eight, but I've passed already passed along some really good things, but also some not so great things, right? Because our kids are emulating what we're doing and who we are, right? They're kind of, they're trying to figure things out. They don't have it all figured out and they're sort of copying certain things and trying them out and testing the waters. Right. And so you, obviously were a part of passing a lot of those things along. Some of it, like her creativity is part of, you know, some of that's part of our children's DNA, right? And they, they just get it and we might not know where. But a lot of these things around like morality, right? These things about like helping older people and like kind of getting involved. You talked about being in social work, which is a very admirable occupation that is very, you know, what I know of social workers is, you know, hard work, underpaid, overworked, uh, overlooked, and you're doing all this important work for some of the most vulnerable people that we have in society. And so I'm sure that, do you think that some of it was uh, either intentionally from you uh, or even subconsciously from you, you just being an example to them and them saying, hey, that's a good idea. We should help people. We should serve people in that way. I'm sure some of that was part of it, right? I'm sure. Yes. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. Yes. And she also takes after me as far as her um, love for animals and fostering and adopting animals. Um, I'm the same way. <laughs> so, love is the animal kingdom. That's beautiful. Yes. So yeah. at what point did reality become interested in joining them? How, how long before she actually joined? Like what, what was sparking that interest in her to join the military and be part of, um, you know, protecting I, I hope and I believe that most people that join the military are doing it to, you know, to do the right thing, to protect what we've built in this country for better or for worse. And so at what point did that begin to be nurtured in her or she started expressing the desire to be part of that? From what I understand of her is I think that a lot of that actually came from her father. Her father and I divorced when she was about eight years old. And her father was very philosophical and her father was always up on current events and would always, he would talk in depth um, to her and her sister about what was going on in the world. And like when 9-11 happened, um, reality was very curious. She wanted to know why, why this happened, you know, and it really did impact her. I saw that this really impacted her. She thought a lot about it and you know, from there, I know that she talked with her dad a lot about what was going on in the world, about the differences in religions, the differences in cultures, and, you know, about war itself and things like that. And, and then I remarried, and uh, she has an older stepbrother who's also, he, was, he joined the Air Force out of high school. And he's a linguist as well. Mm. And so I think she saw that, and she saw that here's an opportunity to be something to help and also to to learn about a new language and a culture and things like that and 
you know, and then she followed his footstep. And um, when she started looking at the military, you know, she let me know that we had lived in a very small town and there wasn't an Air Force recruitment center here, just Navy and, and Army. And so she was talking with the Army and the Army actually scheduled for her to be tested and everything else. And I was just like, but, you know, wouldn't you want to look at the Air Force? And she's like, but we don't have an Air Force recruiter. And so I arranged for the Air Force recruiter from the next city, Corpus Christi, to go over and meet with her. Um, you know, and she later told me, yes, mom, I was always going to do the Air Force, but I just, you know, had to do it my way. You know, this was the easy way to get in, you know, so she took the testing and she did qualify for um, the linguist program, which she was very happy with. And she did qualify for the Middle Eastern language, which is what she wanted. She had already started teaching herself Arabic um, in her senior year of high school, because that's something that she just set her sights, her goals on that. She wanted to be a Middle Eastern linguist and she do, I, I think in her mind, she really wanted to go over there and help and be a part of it and be a part of like the healing between the cultures. Um, but she never got that opportunity with the Air Force because of course she was, um, she was you know, stationed here in the United States. So in 2017, everything changed for her. Everything changed for you all, but everything changed for her because she decided to uh, do the right thing, right? There's one thing we're actually seeing. I, I want Something that I've noticed um, all throughout my career as someone that is involved in social impact and in activism, but especially now in these last few months during this pandemic and during these kind of race, racially tense times, is there are a lot of people that are saying, what you're doing, what they're doing is breaking the law or it's not, it's not this and it's not that and it's not right. And what, I've, what I keep coming back to them with is there are so many things that we are faced with in life. If you, if you wanna live a moral life and if you want to give a damn and if you wanna do the right thing, there will be times that you'll be faced with, do I follow the law of the land or do I do the right thing here? And we can take different eras throughout American world history where the people that were in the right were legally wrong and the people that were in the wrong were legally right in the way that they were acting, the way that they were acting out or whatnot. And so walk us through what happened in 2017. Of course, I can kind of share facts that I know, but again, I'm not close to it. So for those that aren't super acquainted with what went on, what happened in 2017 that changed everything for your daughter? Well, in 2016, in December, of course, we know in November 2016, uh, Trump won the election. And there was a lot of talk at that time about the interference on our elections by the Russians. Yes. Um, and of course, there were different, you know, everybody took a side, either yes, they did, or no, they didn't. And so in December of 2016, reality was discharged from the Air Force. Um, she had an honorable discharge. She even received a commendation medal for her work um, in protecting America and the world. And so Reality was really trying to, you know, get a job where she could actually, what she thought, make a difference. She had applied for different um, charitable organizations like the Red Cross, things like that. But she found out that she wasn't able to get a job without a college education well, there's these private companies who contract with 
our NSA, the National Security Agency, and they recruit people right out of the military, people who did the same jobs as Reality did, who hold a top level security clearance, which Reality did. So Reality took a job with one of these agencies and she began work in um, February with this agency in Augusta, Georgia. So she was stationed there at the NSA at Port Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. So here we are, Trump takes office and people are still talking about the Russian interference in our elections. People concede that yes, they may have interfered by using social media platforms and they may have sowed you know, division and they may have put in misinformation and things like that. And some people are willing to let it sit there. Um, but other people are saying that no, they actually interfered in our actual voting systems and our voter registrations. And we've got people who are saying, absolutely not, it didn't happen. And then we have our leaders in Washington, DC, Trump, number one, saying it's all a hoax. It's all a hoax. Look mm -hmm. the other way. We need to make this thing end. He didn't want anybody investigating um, the Russian you know, um, interference in our elections any, any longer. And he wanted it all to go away. And so right around that time period, you know, then um, he fires Comey. He tells the Russians that um, he's done away with the whole Russia hoax. It's, it's no longer there. And at that point in my daughter's life, she is working at the NSA and she has a document that is very much accessible to her that tells a whole different story. Mm. Um, you know, here's a document that's accessible to her that says that absolutely the Russians, not only did they interfere in the ways that everybody's talking about, but also they um, tried to infiltrate our actual voting systems by sending spear phishing emails to the, the voting, uh, the people who worked for the voter registrations. That piece of information was not known. It was never out there. And so here's my daughter thinking, I don't understand why this can't be out there. I don't understand why the American people don't know this. And how is it that the person in the White House is continuing to say that it didn't happen, that it's a hoax, and he's trying to bury this whole investigation. And so of course she makes the decision, and I'm sure it was a really hard one, um, oh, I can't to, imagine. To take that report with her out of the NSA and to, she had an envelope in her car already and she put it in that envelope with a stamp on it and she dropped it in the mailbox. She anonymously mailed it to a media outlet and, you know, that started the unraveling of her life, but it also started the, the real focus on the Russian investigation. And... How does it feel? So one of the things you just said, I mean, I, I guess I already knew that, but the way you just said it just now made me, it made it really obvious that, you know, Trump, and I remember those days, very frustrating days, just seeing him say these things over and over and over again, as if they're going to disappear magically. But he kept saying, you know, this is all a hoax and this is that, and this is like, he had, there's no way he didn't see the same documents that reality was looking at, right? Because this is the president of the United States. He sees everything. He gets briefed on everything. So there's no way that he didn't know about these things that were going on. The, the very same things that reality hold, held in her hand and mailed anonymously to this media outlet. 
and still he would perpetuate. And we've seen that kind of continue. I don't want to make this about Trump at all, but we've seen that continue even to this day, every single day, him denying things that are, uh, you know, that was a secret that we didn't know about, but there are very obvious things that we know about that it's, it's very frustrating. I'm sure for you in a much different way than it is for me to see uh, this person who is the highest you know, office holder in the land continue to continue to do different versions of what he did to your daughter, right? It's the same thing. Like he knew that this wasn't a hoax and reality tried to expose that. Who did she mail that to? And how did they, because you just said anonymously, she sent it anonymously. How did it come out that it was her? How did that happen? Well, she uh, mailed it to The Intercept, which yep. is an online uh, news media publication that I never even heard of before this, believe it or not. So um, it's become like an everyday uh, topic at my house, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess from what I understand, what happened is that of course this, the intercept, they had to verify what they received. So they received this document in the mail. Um, it's got a return address. It doesn't have a name, anything. And they're looking at it and they're thinking, we need to verify this because if this is real, this is big. Sure. And what the Intercept did from then on is they contacted the NSA and the FBI directly, said, we have this document and we need to verify it. And I don't know if they gave them the original, but they had to have given them the original um, because on the document itself, it had these... Um, near invisible markings, which uh, led them to know which printer it had been printed mm. on. So each printer at each NSA um, has, you know, these markings um, that are specific to the printers. So they knew exactly which printer it was. So they went directly to that printer, they pulled out that printer's information, and they knew who had uh, printed from that printer. And then they narrowed it down to who accessed that document online. And so of that, there were six possible people. Um, they also had the envelope. The envelope was postmarked from Augusta, Georgia. So they were like, there, we have somebody from Augusta, Georgia. They knew exactly which mailbox it was put in. She obviously, she mailed it uh, from a mailbox right outside her yoga studio where he, she taught. So that, you know, narrowed it a little bit closer. I mean, they were just... If the intercept had guarded that information and had maybe sent, you know, sent pieces of that document or a copy even, had not given them the envelope from which it had been mailed, um, you know, it would have made their job a little bit tougher to try to find out who had actually sent it. Um, because what my daughter had said was that basically this document, this report was like the number one trending report on the NSA website. So it wasn't just her that was looking mm. at it. It was sure. everyone, you know, anyone who, who had access to the, the clearance level that she had clearance, her level had access to this document, you know, um, you know she's the one that, that mailed it. So. And do you know why, uh, I know you said that you didn't know what the, what the intercept was before this, but do you know why she chose the intercept uh, versus uh, you know, one of the big ones, you know, CNN, or like, was there some sort of, uh, you know, I don't, again, I still to this day don't know much. I know who the Intercept is, and I've I've looked at their stuff, but I don't know much about 
you know, what they do versus what some of the bigger ones do that might get a much bigger reach, you know, CNN and NBC and CBS and all of the Washington Post, New York Times. Um, you don't, do you have any idea why she did that or no? No, I do not. We've never had a discussion about it. So I mean, I it doesn't matter, but I just didn't know if, if there was some reason why she chose that some certain reporter that she was hoping to get it to or whatever. So in 2000, this happens in 2017. And in 2018, she is sentenced to prison. Take us back to that time. Like, what were some of the efforts that you, uh, obviously, as her mother and you, you, you all as her family, what, what, what were some of the things that you guys tried to do to keep her out of prison? Because obviously, there were probably so many people that were, that were thinking along the same lines we are, which is like, okay, she broke the law, quote unquote, but it was the right thing to do. The American people deserve to know these things. We deserve to know that our election system, not just Facebook ads or otherwise, but the actual tampering of our election system uh, might've been tampered with. It might've been, it might've swayed things one way or another. We deserve to know that. And so what were some of the things that happened around that time that, that you guys were trying like really hard to get them to not sentence her in that way? It's been, this has been such a difficult and eye-opening experience for me. Um, Prior to this, I would have told you that I believed that our criminal justice system was fair Mm. and that it was, you know, that all people would be treated equally within our criminal justice system. But this um, whole experience has taught me differently From day one, Reality was interrogated by the FBI at her home on June 3rd, 2017. From there, she was taken into custody. She was put in a small rural um, county jail in Georgia. She was denied bail. I mean, we, my husband and I made the trip from South Texas to Georgia to be there at the initial hearing and never did we even imagine that she would be denied bail. Here you have a person who just spent six years in the Air Force, was a commended soldier, was had no criminal history whatsoever. Um, she had no reason, you know, there was nothing there that told you that she was a flight risk or a danger to society, but they made her seem like she was the most dangerous person on earth. I mean, they painted this portrait of my daughter in that courthouse that she was, um, you know, going to ruin the United States. She couldn't be trusted. She was going to flee and join the Taliban. She, you know, had the resources available to her, even though she didn't, uh, they took her passport. I don't know. It was just so craftily done and it was so hurtful and harmful. And then them charging her under the Espionage Act. You know, that to me is something I will never forgive the government for. Um, Yes, she, like you said, she broke the law, but there are other, um, you know, less serious crimes that she could have been charged with and charging her under the Espionage Act made her seem like she was like a traitor to her country, which is what she's not. Here she was telling the truth, telling us about an attack on our country by an adversary, but yet they labeled her as a traitor. Um, And so reality never got bail. She never got to leave that county jail. And so they basically broke her down. Um, She had a good legal team, but the court at every single turn ruled against her. Her team, you know, they 
um, petitioned for 41 subpoenas to petition 41 people to come from different state agencies to testify in her favor. The court turned down 40 of them. They couldn't even mount a defense. Everything in her so-called pretrial phase was dragged out so painfully and it was meant to break her down because all while this is happening, she is in a county jail. Um, she was starved. She was beaten up. She was injured. Uh, she, you know, she was deprived of everything. Um, I actually moved. I, I retired early and I moved from my home in Texas to her home in Georgia to give her that anchor so that they could release her because they said she didn't have community ties. They even at that point would not release her wow. on bail or bond. Her um, own mother moving there. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we saw that it was just a matter of time that she couldn't take this anymore. And she couldn't take not knowing how long it was going to be. You know, after a year's point, um, it just, you could see, I mean, she, the fight was out of her and it was like, and they made it clear to her that if she didn't take the plea deal, they were going to go for the full 10 years. They were, they wanted to lock her up for 10 years. And so she was forced into accepting a plea deal and, you know, admitting her guilt in front of the court, which she did. And she, she indicated that she was very sorry and remorseful that she betrayed her country's trust. She realized that her country had put this trust in her and she had betrayed it, um, you know, but she didn't deserve this. She didn't deserve to be labeled as a traitor, to be tried under the Espionage Act, and then to, to have to agree to the longest sentence ever for a crime under, you know, this, this type of law, you know. Nobody Wait. in our history has ever gotten a sentence like this. That's insane. I didn't know that about this. So this, the sentence that she's serving is the longest anyone's ever received for something like this. Yes, it is. And she leaked the least amount of information. You know, you've got other whistleblowers who have, you know, released a lot more information, volumes of things, and they've gotten less time. Now, I do want to, to you know, say, because people are going to remind you of Chelsea Manning got a much stiffer sentence. But of course, Chelsea Manning was in a, in a military court. That's a whole different right. court. That's a whole different circumstance, whole different charges. Okay. But when you're talking about reality winner in a regular criminal court, she's received the longest sentence ever of, of anyone else um, under this, this law. Well, and this is, it's, it's so damn frustrating because it would be one thing if she took information and then hurt us by going to, you know, another, another country and, you know, a country that opposes who we are, wants to hurt us, right? That's a whole different sort of thing. This is wild because it was her presenting information to her own family, her own family, her own, you know, fellow citizens, the people that her, her intention, it's clear because of what she was leaking. It's clear that her intention was to help, not to harm. Therefore, clearly making it way different than espionage. This was not, this shouldn't have fallen under that. And I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be, but this is, it's very clear to me, even as a layperson, like this was to help not to hurt this country. We should be, and you know, I'm not the only one. I'm one of millions of people that call, you know, her a hero for doing the right thing in that moment. This does not make her a criminal. It makes her a hero. And all the while during that, 
you know, her trial period, you know, prosecutors were saying that she hated America. And this is what's interesting about people that do the right thing. Um, again, we're noticing it a lot right now during these racially tense times is because things get crazy. When things are wrong, people get frustrated, they get upset, they do things, they do bold things, whether that's march and protest or leak secrets that need to be known to the general public. And those types of people I've seen over and over again, primarily, again, this is not against Trump or the right, but primarily from those on the right saying, well, if you just, if you hate America that much, why don't you just leave? right? Because we're fighting for something. We're fighting for, you know, racist monuments to come down. We're fighting for equity for black people in America. We're fighting for reality's freedom. It's like, oh, well, look at, look at, they broke the law. They did this thing wrong. You, you must hate America. And if you hate America, leave. And I think to kind of echo, again, I would never pretend to be anything close to what James, who James Baldwin was, but, you know, James Baldwin always said that I love America so much that I reserve the right to criticize her perpetually, Right. So reality doing, you know, uh, kind of exhibiting, doing this act of heroism, not espionage, was not a way to hate America because she had problems with America, right? I have tons of problems with this country. I grew up overseas. I've been back for a third of my life and I don't like it here because I've seen better people's places and things outside more, more justice-filled, equity-filled societies that exist and people are happy. So I'm not content with the way things are here, right? And I've been accused so many times of hating America. Why don't you just get the hell out of here if you hate this place? And it's like, no, I actually have way more love for this place than you do because I'm not content with where she is right now. And so that's just one of the probably very frustrating, you know, again, way more frustrating for you, but frustrating for me and frustrating for America, so many Americans alike watching this saying, how is this possible that she is in prison when, again, it was an act of heroism, not an act of espionage? And what's funny now, or not funny at all, what's, what's, what's wild now is that, so we're, we're in a pandemic. It's a horrible time for Amer all, all of America, all of the world. But especially for people that are in these inhumane, cramped, not healthy, we can all pull up, we can go watch videos on YouTube right now of the terrible shitty conditions that so many prisons are in and the ways people get treated when they're in prison. They get treated like they're not human. And so, in, so again, me with my freedom, I'm at my house with my family. We've been physically distancing, been trying to keep safe. Like it's the pandemic's been hard with for us and we've been doing all the right things and we have a yard and we can hang out with, you know, our, I have three little kids. We do, a, we have a blast together. People in prison don't have that luxury. And the horrifying part of the horrifying thing that I've noticed and that Amer not noticed I've seen because Americans have seen it is that actual criminals have been released from prison uh, compassionate, you know, releases uh, because of their age or their health. And again, we're talking about verified actual people that have been committing crimes for a long, long time, and they've been getting away with it because they're they're uh, uh, white, old, privileged men that have that are part of the good old boys club. But you see some of the president's friends, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort. We just saw yesterday or today, Michael Cohen got out. Um, Roger Stone never got in. Roger Stone never even made it in because of his health and because of the pandemic and the president had compassion on him and, and brought him out. And yet a hero still in there. Um, and then obviously the tragic news last week that she tested positive for COVID-19. How are you feeling about all that? What are the conditions? What do you know about 
her conditions right now in this prison in the middle of one of the worst pandemics we've seen in decades? Wow, this has been just another chapter of the nightmare that we've been living through this whole thing. Um, you know, reality's seen some really dark times and, and they were very dark times. And then things seemed to be where it was gonna be okay because she was doing her programs. She was, you know, there at the prison making her way. And we were able to go and visit with her and talk with her and have video chats and, and things like that. This whole COVID thing, the, the prisons, even without her testing positive, it's been horrible. Um, people need to know that the prisons, the, the federal prisons went on lockdown status the first week of April, which meant that they're on like a double lockdown. Oh my God. Um, to me, it doesn't make any sense why if you have 1,400 women who live together or even like her unit is 240 inmates. So you have 240 inmates that share the same bathrooms, the same sinks, the same living quarters, everything, but they're not allowed outside anymore since April. They're not allowed outside, no fresh air, no sunshine. They've modified the meal programs to where they've cut down on the hot meals because they don't want them traveling to and from the cafeteria to minimize movement and minimize the spread of COVID. And so since April, you know, she's been getting sack lunches for two of her meals. And those sack lunches are not vegetarian options. My daughter's a vegan. She will not eat any meat products. Um, so, and then they stopped commissary because it's no longer safe to bring in contractors and to bring in fresh supplies of commissary for them. So they're not even able to supplement their own diet or their own hygiene. They're not given the, the proper PPE. They're not given soap. Um, they're not given anything. And then they can't even buy it on commissary anymore because they've limited that. And then they've minimized the contact that they can have with their families. It's no longer safe for them to share computers. So they stopped all video visits. It's no longer safe for them to um, have at will access to telephones. So they are allowed out to make phone calls when the guards tell them they can. And that's one after the other, after the other, after the other, which is not sanitary. But so they are only getting one phone call a day. I mean, they have gone backwards in time so far. The, the conditions are just horrific. And I just, I really hope that at some point, somebody begins to investigate this and begins to investigate how long are they going to continue to keep these prisoners like this? And it's not just her prison, it's all of the prisons. The men's prisons are like that too. Um, it, it's, it's horrendous. And then on top of that, all of these measures were put in place so that they could protect them and they could stop the spread of COVID within the prison system. And look what they did. The guards brought it in because they didn't stop the guards from coming in not. and out. And they didn't give the guards proper PPE and they didn't make the guards wear their, prop, their PPE when they gave it to them. And the guards laughed about this. And so they brought it in and they infected the prisoners. The prisoners are still locked inside. 
They're, they are 24 hours in their small cell. They, two women cannot even stand up at the same time in the cell because there's not enough room between the bunk beds. I mean, they've taken away everything from them. Why? You know, and now that they're all sick, it's like my daughter's unit, every single one of them is positive. 240 women are positive within her unit. Would it hurt them to allow them to come out of their cells? Would it hurt them to allow them to go outside? You know, the ones that are feeling okay. And so to me, it's just, this is just inhumane and somebody's got to stop it. Now, I'm sorry, but as far as reality goes, I talked with her last night. Um, Last night, she sounded really good. She hasn't sounded good for the last two weeks, but she has been minimizing her symptoms and she's actually been hiding them and she finally has come out to let me know that yes she was very sick she was in a lot of pain but she had to hide it because if you became symptomatic they would take you away and put you in isolation and then you lose everything you lose you lose your companionship with the people that you're stuck in there with you're you know isolated in a single cell with nothing and so she didn't want that to happen so she was pretending to be okay for two weeks. I mean, my stomach is in knots just listening to you at how just tragically, there's no other way to say it. This is what you just described is so tragically fucked up that it's hard to even fathom that that's happening. Again, people tout America as the greatest nation on earth and we do everything well and we do everything right, blah, blah, blah. We already know that our systems are, our, our prison system is wild. We obviously can't call it the criminal justice system. It's the criminal legal system at best because there's no justice in it. And what you just described is so anti the science that we know. So they're not doing the best that they can. They're not making the right decisions for those prisoners. Everything you just described makes the the system where they're living in a cesspool, like a breeding ground for the virus. Everything we know says fresh air is way better, right? Like get outside. Um, don't get too close to each other. You just said that two of them can't stand up at the same time uh, because of the bunk beds and how close they are. Everything we know says get away from people if you don't want to spread it. You're spreading it by all of these, you know, the, the spit and the drops that come out of our mouth when we talk. And we already know from countries that have begun to beat this thing. And even in our own country, we there are so many things still open because we can properly sanitize things and we can like really keep everything clean. You know, you're talking about, you know, very limited phone calls and no computers and all that stuff. Like there are ways that they could keep this thing going where they could resume sort of, I mean, it's not, it's an inhumane way of life anyway, being in a prison under normal circumstances, but they could somehow maintain that if they put in the work, it sounds like they're just being lazy and they don't want, they don't want to do the right thing here because they could make that place sanitary as sanitary as possible anyway and they're not doing it as exemplified in the the guards going to and from not getting checked probably not getting their temperature taken not wearing the proper clothing and so yes they're going to go out they're going to do whatever they do on their time off and then come in and begin infecting people and because they're so close uh you said there's 1400 women in this in this prison right and the numbers are in the hundreds that are infected with COVID in that prison correct yes 529 
Yeah, so we're talking about, thir- I don't, I'm not good at percentages, 40%, 35, 40% of the prisoners at this point. And that's not counting the ones that are asymptomatic and that haven't, like, we're looking at, you know, it could be in the higher 80, 90% or everybody getting it because they're not following the science that we already know, the verified science about get people away from each other. This thing is, it's better when you're outdoors, all those things, they're keeping them inside. That's tragic. Like, that's horrific. And I honestly, I can't imagine what you're going through as a mom, knowing that she's in there, right? Like I'm feeling it. I've got, I've got knots in my stomach thinking about somebody I've never met that I care for on a human level because I know the story and I wanted to be free three years ago. And, and today I want to be free right now, but it can't, it can't be easy. I mean, you, you, you described in a, in a recent uh, business insider interview, you said as each, chapter of this unfolds, I just see how corrupt our system really is. And I see just how powerless the average American is. And that's key there with average American, because again, if you've got power, if you've got friends, if you've got money, you're good. If you're Michael Cohen, if you're Michael Flynn, if you are uh, Roger Stone, if you're Paul Manafort, if, you're, if your friend is the president or a senator or a gut, like you're good, you'll get out. You'll get out because they'll make some case and they'll get you out. It is very much a system that devalues the average American and hurts the average American. Um, And we've seen that so clearly. You said everything about our case has been so harsh and just cruel. And that's a a very gracious understatement. I'm sure you've said way worse things about it, but that, that is such an understatement for what she's experiencing right now. And so are you, are you hopeful that like, what are you hearing? Obviously, you're privy to conversations or whatever. Again, you just talked to her last night. Like, are you hopeful that um, knowing what you know about where petitions are and appeals are, like, is she going to get, like, what's, what's happening? What's, what, can we, what can we pray for? What can we help you fight for in this? Because it doesn't seem, I mean, at least right now, it doesn't seem incredibly, I mean, I'm typically, I try to be the optimist. I have a platform called Let's Give a Damn. Like, let's go out and do stuff. But this seems very bleak right now because no one seems to give a shit. And even when she's in the middle of this breeding ground for COVID, like it doesn't seem to be getting the attention uh, of the people that can actually do something about it. The powers that be that can get her out right now tonight, they could free her. And it doesn't seem to be getting across. That's right. Um, Yes, it is very bleak. I try not to, I, I don't really get my hopes up anymore because of everything that's happened. Um, Every turn that we've been at, you know, we've thought that, you know, something would make a difference and it just never seems to, to make that big of a difference. I don't know why that the media um, doesn't report on her as much as, you know, I would like to, I, I've never stopped trying to get the attention of anyone, anyone that I can. Um, in February, she filed for clemency And, you know, all of the reasons for clemency are on her side. She is a nonviolent first-time offender. She's a military veteran. She's not at a risk to anyone. She's not a risk, a flight risk. There's no reason why reality winner should spend another day in prison. It doesn't do anyone any justice, you know. Um, We're just wasting this girl's life. We're wasting our money on her. Um, she could be much more valuable to our society as a free woman. But her clemency petition is sitting in a pile with 
thousands and thousands of others. While well, Roger Stone, he got his, he didn't even enter a prison, but he was given clemency, you know? And then of course, you know, she has um, pled for compassionate release. She filed mm -hmm. with the Bureau of Prisons for a compassionate release and she was denied. Then they went to the court, to the federal court and the district judge also denied her. And so now her team is actually waiting on the 11th Circuit of Appeals. But from what I understand is the government in the latest twist of cruelty to reality winner said that basically she has already contracted COVID. She didn't get very sick, so there's no harm done. So let's just keep her in prison because there's no reason for reality winner to be afforded compassion or compassionate release at this time, which to me, I mean, it tears me up just to, to hear that, that oh, I can't imagine it, you know, she didn't get sick enough for them. Um, she's not a valuable human being to them. I mean, they, they pretty much have discarded her. And I, I honestly believe that all of this is coming from the top that, you know, the, the top has said, nope, not her. She released the wrong information and she made us look bad. Yeah, the point of what's happening to your daughter is, the point is cruelty. The point is to be as cruel as possible. That, that seems clear because as you said, no, like she is the least harmful person, right? Like she should get out by all intents and purposes, by all the, if you look at so many different cases, she should be out again, a long time ago, there's no reason for her to be in there. And yet they won't let her out because she, as you pointed out, she, she, she let the wrong secret out of the bag. Right. And there's no doubt that this is coming all the way from the top. And that's what's so tragic about it is that our, I mean, we could, we could do a couple hours. I've, I've been, we, we could do a whole couple hour conversation on our prison system. And in my mind, the need for it to be abolished. I'm a believer in the abolition of the prison system because here's why. And there's a lot of great arguments about, about it out there. Most of the people, most, and we're talking in the 90 something percent of people in prison, there are so many different ways to deal with the reason they're in there. You don't need to be in a cage, treated like an animal, fed like an animal, bathed like an animal, treated like an animal. There's no reason for that. But again, our, the point of when someone commits a crime, again, with very, very few exceptions, there's been some horrific things that have been done and they need to be treated with in a little different way. But again, the vast majority of crimes committed, especially something so little and so heroic like what reality, the majority of crimes we should be seeking to, the, the point should be to restore and to redeem, right? We want, to, we want these people to re-enter society better than when they went in there. You did something wrong, whatever it was, you robbed a bank, you killed someone, whatever. Let's look at why that happened. What were the circumstances? Let's really get into your story and let's figure out how to restore you. Let's figure out how to redeem this thing that you did. Prisons exist to punish people. There's no desire to teach. There's no desire to restore. There's no desire to make them a better person. And we see that by the recidivism rate. We see that in, this is not reality situation, but I'm just letting out some frustration with the prison system is we see that when these people come out of the prison system, we have hurt them already. We have set them back so many years in life. You can't vote if you have a felony. You can't, most people won't hire you if you have a felony. And so eventually these people end up right back in the system. That is the point. It's a for-profit business that 
the only way that all these private companies that are funding, you know, whether it's the steel or the beds or the whatever, we've made this huge for-profit business out of it. And they only get paid if the, every bed is full in those prisons. So we will find any excuse to put people in. And so I'm, I'm a huge advocate of, and I have conversations on the podcast coming up with different people that are making really intelligent, logical arguments for the abolition of the prison system with very few exceptions, because we should, as a people, if we are, if we are the people of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, if we are people, the 14th Amendment that wants to give equal opportunity under the law for everyone, then we should be seeking to restore people and to redeem people, not to punish them endlessly. And then to, once they get out of prison, you're still in a sort of a prison because you can't ever like live a normal life anymore, right? All that to say, the point seems to be cruelty. And I've, I've prayed um, as often as I can, some, most of the time it's on the daily for reality that this will end soon. And I don't see how that's going to happen, but I pray that it will because she doesn't deserve to be in there, right? She doesn't deserve to be in there. I mean, I'm praying for her right now in my head that, you know, you talked about, and I, 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 I understand that you talked about the, I think it's what bologna sandwiches or something that they're eating, which is, yeah. which is not, again, it's part of the cruelty. You're not, you don't care about these people. You don't feed people bologna. That is shit food. It's not nutritious. It's not good for you. And on top of that, she can't eat it because, so they're not even, they're not even going to the, the extent of like catering to this small little health need that she has to eat food that is plant-based and not with meat in it. It's, it's horrible. Do you feel, I know you said that, you know, you, you have tried so many things to get her out from the general public. I mean, I've watched, I observe you on social media. I observe the people you interact with, the people that interact with you. Do you feel, does that help at all to feel supported in that way by, I mean, you've got these, there's these hashtags that are going. Um, there's, you know, lots of people sharing about this. Now I know that that can't, I know the limitations of social media. For one, it can turn into a sort of a slacktivism where it's like, I can just tweet something and then I feel better about myself. So that's part of the deal. And also nobody ever got free just from posting on social media. Like work has to be done by lawyers and lawmakers and you know politicians to get her out, right? But how does that make you feel to have this community of people that seems to be growing by the day, at least that's what I'm observing, of people, both people that no one's ever heard about and then you've got the Mark Hamels and the Patricia Arquettes and the different politicians that have tweeted about it. Like people seem to be getting um, in on this with you. Like, how does that make you feel? Do you, does that give you some hope in the midst of this uh, bleak craziness? It does. And that is really the only thing that has kept me going throughout all of this is the growing awareness and the growing support for reality and for my, you know, for our family, for myself. Um, if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would do. Um, I'm so grateful for everyone out there who lends their voice, whether it be somebody who only has two followers or it be Patricia Arquette today, which I was so grateful. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell was the very first one. She actually Amazing. called, she actually called me, um, the, you know, two days after reality's arrest, she, she called me on my cell phone and said, I am here for you. And wow. she's always been, she's always been here for us. It's, mm. it's amazing. Um, you know, when you have somebody with a large voice, it's great because they can reach a lot more people, but I'm grateful for everyone. I'm grateful for every single person who, who helps us, who helps us tell her story. I'm grateful to you. Um, I love the name of your podcast. <laughs> um, and so, and that's why I never stop because, mm. um, there's always another person that I, I think I can reach and through that person, then we can reach another. And so, that's how we're going to grow this. And I think the only hope 
that reality really has is going to be through public awareness and yep. public pressure. That's yep. going to be the only hope that she's going to have because sadly, even, you know, the Democrats won't even touch her. You know? I hate that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so everybody says, wait for Joe Biden. Well, I have yet to hear Joe Biden say reality, you know, and so I don't know what Joe Biden's going to do with reality when or when he gets in office. And so, but I do know that pre public pressure will work. And so if by the time Joe Biden takes office, if we have, you know, a million people to sign her petition and we have people tweeting every single day and we can finally get her to her to trend on Twitter, mm -hmm. you know, that would be fantastic, you know, and to, to not let it stop until she is free. That's a very, that leads into my, my uh, we're going to begin to wrap up here. That leads into my next question, which is, what can people do? So you've got an army, as it were, of, you know, let's give a damn family, people that want to give a damn, people that are doing it in so many different ways. And so many of the people that are listening right now have participated in some way, even if it's just a tweet, a hashtag, you know, expressing uh, solidarity with reality, even though she can't see those tweets, expressing solidarity with you and your family. But what can people, what else can people do? It, it, I mean, is that it? It's just like, continue to raise the public awareness? Are there ways to, con I know you, I know it's in lockdown, are there ways to contact her, to encourage her? Like what are some of the ways that people can get involved um, right now as they're listening to this story and feeling kind of, a, uh, they're feeling a little uneasy and feeling a passion and a desire to do something about this? Yeah, if you go to the website, standwithreality.org, um, standwithreality.org, uh, there are different ways that people can help. There's a petition. There's uh, to free reality winner uh, for clemency. There's also her address is on there and her registration number. Yes, I ask people at this time especially, um, write to her, let her know and the other inmates around her that they are not forgotten and that yeah. you do care about them and that we haven't forgotten what they're going through. That's the most important thing. Um, and then also, yes, keep her, her name out there on social media. Every single time that her name is out there means something. It means something out there. It's going to be seen and, and it means something. Continue to uh, contact your representatives. I know that they're powerless in this, but they have a voice as well. You know, none of them can change reality's course right now because it's not their area but they have a voice and they can also lobby pressure well, you know, where it, it matters. And so um, other people, you know, we, we had at one point, we had, you know, like a week where everybody wrote the White House or called the White House and just demanded reality's release. I mean, any little thing that we can do to, to put that pressure on, to keep her name out there and to let her know that she's not forgotten. I'm thinking about my friends right now, right now we live in Nashville and for 46 days, today's day 46, there have been a group of my friends at the state capitol in downtown Nashville uh, for a few reasons. One of the main reasons is to get the, a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest that resides in our capitol building removed because he's a racist, horrible person that did horrible things. He does not deserve, he doesn't deserve a statue anywhere, let alone in our state capitol where laws are being made and where uh, the people are being heard. And I, you know, uh, 60 of them have been arrested over the last 45, 46 days. And I almost got arrested one of the nights I was down there. It's, it, there's been state troopers changing, changing 
changing what they mean when they say you can come this far. It's been, it's just been a game they've been playing. And we've had a people there every single night for 46 days. I wonder like, has, has there ever been like, have people ever protested outside of the prison she's in? Like, has there ever been groups that have shown up, uh, you know, to, again, there's, it's one thing to, you know, sign petitions. That's very easy. It's one thing to retweet on social media. It's very easy, meaningful as you're, as you're sharing. But I, I feel like for this to really, really get attention, bigger, louder things have to happen on and off social media. So has, has that ever happened uh, at her prison where people have showed up to protest what's happening? Not specifically for reality, no. Um, you know, we did have a candlelight vigil at the county jail where she was being held in Georgia. And, you know, they were very gracious. They let us use the parking lot. Um, I don't think they wanted the bad press. And so, you know, that was something that I felt was meaningful. Um, and then her second year anniversary of being incarcerated, we actually went to Washington, D.C. And we had quite a, a gathering right outside the White House where we were, you know, asking for her release. But yeah, we do need more movements like what you're talking about, which would be, um, you know, something that would catch the attention and be something visual and loud so that we could, um, you know, really get the attention of who needs to hear it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and joining us. I, I um, one of the words I want to use for one of the things that one of the ways I want to describe this is it's exciting for me to meet you and talk with you. But I know that this is, uh, I, I, I don't guess that you either, you know, enjoy it all talking about this because this is your, this is your, your flesh and blood. This is your daughter. This is not a friend, or this is not an idea. This is not a, you know, I cry all the time thinking about different situations and people and stuff. But if it was my own family, man, that's a whole, that's a whole new level of um, grief and a whole new level of sadness and a whole new level of, I want this shit to change and I can't do anything about it. I'm sure it just affects you. And so thank you for taking another hour of your time to talk with us about it. I hope that everyone listening does something about it. I hope everyone listening, because this is something that's really easy. I always tell people when they're listening, this might not be the conversation for you. You know, maybe this isn't something that hits you. We talk about all things about race and the environment and so many different things that we have on here. This is one that everyone should do something about. They can go to standwithreality.org. They can sign a petition. They can share on social media. This is something that everyone, and I want you listening folks to, to hear me. This is something that you should act on right now in small and big ways. Be thinking creatively about ways to kind of grow this movement because it, it is, it needs to get so loud that they can't ignore it. This is the squeaky hinge that America needs right now to like, we can't stop squeaking until the powers that be come and put oil on the squeaky hinge, which is letting her free where she belongs. Uh, so again, thank you for your time. We are standing with you. We're praying with you and for you. And um, we hope, we're hoping for the best here in the next few days, weeks and months ahead. All right. Well, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. That's the show today, friends. A massive thanks to Billy for joining me on the show. I'm sure it wasn't easy to talk about these things. I'm very grateful, Billy. Thank you. And thank you for listening, friends. You can find links and more details about the show, including more about our sponsor in the show notes at letsgiveadam.com. I created this show. Chad Snavely masterfully produced it. Let's Give a Damn is part of the Matter Media family. You can reach out anytime at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Sending so much love and peace to each one of you. Stay safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.